0: The Sewer Show Squatters and unwaged airwaves Presenting views, news and interviews from the Centrelink queues Information on your squatting, legal and other rights Troublemaking news from around the world Coming at you every
1: Friday between 5.30 and 6.30pm on 3CR
2: Hello, and welcome to the Doing It Ourselves Week of the Squatters and Unwaged Workers Airwaves on 3CR Community Radio. We're airing on 855 AM or 3CR Digital on 3cr.org.au. It's 5.30 PM on Friday the 17th of March. My name's Anissa, and today we're going to be listening to some excerpts from a panel Doing It Ourselves organised a couple of weeks ago called Real Sustainability Through Mutual Aid. The panel featured Anitra Nelson... Terry Lee and Theo Kitchener, and was all about economies without any form of money or currency. The different speakers each had a different name for the same thing they were talking about, which was interesting. Non-market socialism, the gift economy, and the mutual aid economy. So the first speaker, Anitra Nelson, a scholar-activist who is a strong international proponent of non-monetary futures. She's the co-editor of the book Life Without Money, Building Fair and Sustainable Economies, and she writes for the University of Sydney Progress in Political Economy blog and the journalism Capitalism, Nature, Socialism. She's talking on this panel about experiments in collective living, particularly Twin Oaks, a community in the US that she'll tell us more about now.
3: Now, Common Ground, where I'd lived, um, interestingly enough, was actually based partly on Twin Oaks. So um, living there was one of the reasons why I knew about Twin Oaks and uh, I went and stayed there for a month and I, I worked there at the same um, as members work. It was established in 1967 and it has, and I quote, values of cooperation, sharing, non-violence, equality and ecology, non-quote. So since 2010, there have been around 100 members, including 15 children. Um, They're an income-sharing commons, which benefits from past accumulation of farming land and forest equipment, housing, people, um, and people skills and knowledge. So um, Twin Oaks aims for collective sufficiency, um, but relies on some trade. And for United States taxation purposes, it's categorised along with monasteries, um, but the members actually have diverse beliefs and philosophies in a secular culture. It's just that, in many ways, um, the community mimics the simple living and collective sufficiency um, of a traditional feudal monasteries. Now, the government, however, is, um, in contrast to feudal monasteries, is um, non-hierarchical. It has committees and managers and planners who make and um, all the plans and operationalise everyday management decisions. The members work an average 42 hour a week on communal uh, communal domestic tasks and businesses and in return all their basic needs are met. They get around $1,200 per annum pocket money. Besides washing and cleaning, working with timber, gardening, childcare and preparing food, they produce communal cash by making tofu, hammocks, indexing books and growing seeds for heirloom plants. And um, some political um, activities are deemed work. Now, if 42 hour week sounds um, big, if you've got sort of, you know, a 35 hour week, um, just remember the Australian Bureau of Statistics measures that the average hours that we do per week at home doing domestic tasks as well as at work is between over 50 and getting on for 60 hours per week. So it's actually less work than, than we do in our society. Now, um, there are seven large group houses um, and uh, clothes, communal meals, um, various equipment and a fleet of vehicles and skills are all shared um, along with space. So bikes, for instance, just lie or sit in stands around the farm And you pick one up and you use it and you leave it there for someone else to take it. No one owns their kind of own personal bike. They're all shared. So um, there's a whole protocol around what you should do with bikes. And second-hand bikes are repaired and maintained in a workshop there, and that's part of the work schedule. Non-work activities include musical groups, theatre reading and film groups and cafes. It's an eco-village. Most food is organically grown on 3.5 acres of vegetable gardens. Um, Harvested vegetables are work Walk to the kitchen, food, transport and refrigeration costs are negligible. A herd of cows provides unpasteurised milk, cheese, yoghurt and beef is slaughtered on site. So they've got chickens, an orchard, they dumpster dive and Twin Oaks heating is from passive solar, locally harvested timber and solar hot water. Um, So energy efficiency also produces major savings. All of the communities that I looked at in this paper share characteristics for advancing non-monetary degrowth. That's that they've got social and political structures that establish and maintain a balance in interdependent relations between humans and the earth. Um, Their economies are more um, degrowth aligned the further along they are from the market economy of exchange values and prices. So um, I argue that degrowth is about diminishing consumption of use values to levels that the earth can naturally regenerate um, and that that perspective needs to put aside exchange values, the production for trade, that is, producing for money. And these collective living experiences contributed to me to becoming a non-market socialist, which is what this book is about. And um, non-market socialists argue that moving beyond money is a fundamental first and final step of transformation. So today, a bottom-up response is appropriate and necessary to achieve change quickly. Direct democracy with as local as is feasible production focusing on people's basic needs means deciding on future distribution simultaneously with collectively agreeing on productive goals and ways of achieving them. There's no money, financial sectors or capitalists necessary and um, I argue that Twin Oaks has developed effective forms of participatory direct democracy merging workplace and domestic decision-making. They have compacts with other um, eco communities, they network with labour swaps and they make non-monetary product and service exchanges And their techniques are inclusive, they're simple, they're straightforward. And their level of collective sufficiency shows that if we concentrate on small and appropriate technologies to satisfy basic needs, direct democracy is a successful governance model. I argue that experiencing it as you can with some of these alternative communities actually enables you to explore where the degrowth movement and non monetary economies are going and provide a strategy for how we get
2: there. And that was Anitra Nelson on the panel Real Sustainability Through Mutual Aid. And you're listening to the Doing It Ourselves week on the Squatters and Unwaged Workers airwaves on 3CR, 855 AM. If you're interested in more of Anitra's work, check out our book Life Without Money or look up Anitra Nelson on www.researchgate.net.
4: Hi, my name's Sarah. I love coming here because they offer vegan food. Hi,
1: my name's Paul. This is my first time at Friends of the Earth. I think it's really awesome and the food's great and really healthy and nutritious.
5: <laughs> Friends of the Earth Food Co-op, 312 Smith Street, Collingwood. A tuneful experience.
2: A 3CR supporter. Now let's have a listen to Terry Lay. He's a conjoint lecturer at the University of Newcastle. His research covers food security, the global environmental crisis and the response of the public, and the philosophy of the social science, sciences, and the place of a humanist realist perspective. His work is framed by an interest in strategies for walking towards a gift economy, which is what he'll be talking about on this panel. His most recent publications include a documentary on a permaculture project in Zimbabwe, the Chikukwa project and a book on social theory, Humanist Realism for Sociologists. Over to Terry.
1: So how does the gift economy work? In the gift economy, there are, there are, there's no money, there's no, so people are not paid in wages, and there's no stake. There's, I might come back to that later on. People provide for themselves in cooperatives, you know, like providing their own food, like some of the examples on Twin Oaks, or they distribute their products as gifts. Um, I use the term compacts which was invented by Anitra in, in her writings on this, one of these topics They're pro- and I see them as promises or agreements to provide goods and services so in a sense this stabilises the gift economy and means that people are predictably given particular gifts and it may be, say if you're making a train uh, you may be given gifts of wheels from another collective somewhere else that's making those and that will be a Greek comp- compact um, these can be uh, exchanges, you know, like they can, or they can just be one way, like that you're providing something for some other group and they're not necessarily providing back to you. Ultimately, all gifts come back to you in some form in the sense of creating the standard of living that you enjoy. In capitalism, sociability, creativity and autonomy are all stifled in capitalist work. Work is alienated, that's the phrase that Marx uses, and that's what he means by that. So you have to work, you have to do what you're told at work. It makes good sense to choose the most well-paid work you can get, not what is most creative or useful. The distribution of the things that you produce is out of your control. That's, that's controlled by the people who are the bosses of the, the firm or government department that you're working for and so on. Market imperatives drive distribution decisions. So to so, so manage the companies in order to maintain a profit and maintain market share and maintain their capital have to make things that are going to make money on the market. So people are driven to obtain employment because of hunger and physical needs at the, at the base level because the capitalists, the ruling class, owns the means of production. So if you want to buy food, you have to get a job, then you get to buy food. It's the same with, with housing or anything else, etc, etc. You have to have a job. More recently, in the last 50 to 100 years, what we've seen in the uh, elite parts of the world is increasing productivity, which has allowed consumerism for some. Uh, leisure. In this context, in, in like countries like Australia, leisure becomes an opportunity to express creativity, sociability, autonomy and sexuality that things that you don't have a chance to express in your work. So there is this kind of compensation for, for alienated labor and various kinds of consumer consumption. This, this has been, become a tool of the expansion of capitalism to expand markets, and it's part of the reason why we're in such an environmental catastrophe at the moment. The gift economy operates like this. Work is completely voluntary, uh, so that means that your, desire, your, 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 your pursuit of autonomy is satisfied by aspects of your work. Um, in your work, you directly express your sociability <coughs> by joining together with other people at work. Uh, and also through distribution, through giving away the products of your work to other people and, and you know, expressing your affection and, and con- connections with other people through your work and through the distribution of what you produce. You directly express your creativity in your work. You're doing what you think is interesting in the most interesting way that you can manage. Now, there are various reasons why the gift economy satisfies the, 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 the ethical requirements of an environmental care and the ethical requirements of social justice. It takes care of people by making sure everyone has meaningful work rather than forced labour oriented to market demand. So, so that's a kind of you know, offering to people, uh, looking after people through that. Through control of distribution, the workers in the gift economy are able to directly express their care for other people by providing them with their needs. And finally, the gift economy allows producers to express their care for other species and allows them to gain status by looking after the global commons for the benefit of all. In a gift economy, there's no direct link between how much you produce and how and your own consumption. In a capitalist economy, you, you're partly forced into work for the, for the sort of reasons that Anitra was talking about, Uh, and then you compensate yourself for that alienated labour by buying lots of stuff which sometimes you don't need but expressing yourself outside of your working hours. In a gift economy, that, that kind of whole complex doesn't work like that. You can produce as much as you like and give it away, but that will make no difference to the kind of gifts that you're receiving from other people. They come from the decisions of those other producers to produce for you according to what they perceive as your needs and what you've arranged through compacts. It's... Quite likely, the people might decide to produce less and save effort and so on because a lot of things are not really necessary, and enjoy that time as increased leisure, something which is very difficult to do in the context of the capitalist economy. I just want to schematically outline three ways to get there. One way is a classic revolution. The other way is immediateism, and the other way is hybrids. Like these are ideal types. Obviously, there are all sorts of mixtures, but just to give you an idea of what the range of options is. In a classic revolution, there are mass demonstrations accompanied by riots and looting. That's a typical pattern. Um, there is extensive discussion of options in large meetings uh, and online. That would be online today, obviously. The army goes on side and, re- and reckons the old system has got nothing for them either, and basically, so there's no actual civil war started up. And people occupy the workplaces and institute the gift economy and this spreads internationally. So you probably think this is, oh my God, that's not particularly likely um, (laughs) at the moment. (laughs) Uh, But what I would say about it is that it may be not as unlikely as we think the environmental crisis and oil peak are destabilising capitalism. The capitalist economy cannot solve the problem of global warming and every year that passes it becomes more and more critical. Everything else has been tried. We've seen nationalisation, as in Soviet Russia, we've seen social democracy and we've seen fascism, all of these other options for remoter production have been tried out and found to be disastrous in one way or another. The hedonism of late capitalism undermines authority through its endorsement of pleasures and the feminist movement undi- undermines authority in the family through its attack on patriarchy. We can see various precedents for, for revolutions with this kind of politics in Spain, 1936-1956, Albania in 1997, not to mention things more recently like the Occupy movement, the riots in London and so on. Okay, the second system is immediatism, which is a form of direct action where people meet with a group, participate in a common creative project, share expenses, they give away what they produce, whether to members or other, and this is an attempt to set up the gift economy right here, right now, as a sort of hobby collective. And hybrids, which is what we've been talking about before, is, is, is situations where there's some kind of uh, a hybridisation between aspects of the capitalist economy now and aspects of the gift economy we're trying to work towards. Which means that there's some control of production by the producers or by the community at large. There's some sort of gifting forms of distribution that benefit particular people or the natural world rather than making the highest possible profit in combination with some aspects of capitalism, for example, wage, labour and the commodity.
2: That was Terry Lay on the panel Real Sustainability Through Mutual Aid, and you're listening to the Doing It Ourselves Week on the Squatters and Unwaged Workers Airwaves on 3CR, 855 AM. If you're interested in checking out more of Terry Lay's work, have a look at www.gifteconomy.org. He's also got a great article on there called The Gift Economy, A Starting Point, which we'll link to on the 3CR website when we post the podcast of this episode. The article explains very succinctly, but in a bit more detail, his version of the gift economy and how it could work for a modern industrial economy. Now we're going to a song. This is Build a Bridge by NARCO and the Medicine for the People. Nako is a powerful Native American singer and songwriter who will be playing in Melbourne soon. If you like this song, don't miss it. They're playing on the 12th of April at 170 Russell. We would like to warn listeners that this song references sexual assault and colonial genocide, which could be triggering. So if that doesn't sound like your cup of tea, please switch off and come back in six minutes to hear the rest from Theo Kitchener, and then the audience questions where the discussion starts to get really juicy. Said prepare me for For whole I'm battle I am a witness So
6: crystal bullets I drop the hatchet You won't forget it Said prepare me for For whole I'm battle I am a witness So crystal bullets I drop the hatchet She won't forget it Said mine eyes have seen nothing but trouble You must make peace With them gods and the devils I can be rude boy I am not subtle I can to stick in them Burst out them bubbles We are the ones Even waiting to rumble I torch my hand Enemies have played a candle. Music is a weapon, make campfires crumble. We bring them bankers and wealthy to tremble. What we know is what we're old. Can't be too careful. Shoot flaming arrows. think them wicked. Burning them bridges. share what we know is what we all Can't be too careful. Shoot flaming arrows. think them wicked. Burning them bridges. We're not from here, but born respectively I agree, because I America break my country. O.B.J. B. With no white man money. I'm on Indian time. You know you cannot rush me. I can be vicious, malicious, and ugly. Addicted to darkness. You better run quickly. What we know is what we're out. Can't be too careful. are arrows. Jazz Building I'm in distress. Never take no title at the deepest respect. Welcome to Aquarius, son. You're a legend, guardian of the gate number seven. I tame the beast and I ride the dragon. I reincarnate as a wild stallion. What we know is what we're old. Can't be too careful. She's flaming arrows. If they them we people my earth my country my heart in service forever a mission to better my high passion my fist my heart open it reclaim recover protect clean water said i've come to live in peace so come let's live Live, live, live I've come to live in peace So come let's live Live, live, live I've come to live in peace So come let's live Live, live, live I've come to live in peace So come let's live
2: That was Narco and Medicine for the People and their song Build a Bridge. If you liked that, look them up as they're playing in Melbourne on the 12th of April and it will be an excellent show. Now we're going to have a listen to Theo Kitchener's talk. Theo is a member of Doing It Ourselves as well as Alternative Economy Project, Livelihood, and the Communal Urban Gardening Project, Gnomes Farming Cooperative. She'll be talking a little bit about each of those projects which are all currently happening in Melbourne and if you'd be interested in getting involved in any of them, you would be more than welcome. We'll list some web addresses and emails after Theo's talk for you if you're keen. Theo is also the author of a number of articles for Shift magazine and an animation on system change through collapse that went viral in 2011. Here's Theo. The first thing I wanted to
4: tell you all about um, is this awesome mutual aid project called the Gnomes Farming Cooperative. Um, I'm involved with it and I really enjoy it. Um, Its goal is to, and and there's a few people in the room who are part of it as well, Um, yeah our goal is to take over the city's backyards to share land, share food, share skills and share fun. Um, It works through, we do call-outs for land, Um, it's amazing how much land we're given. Um, We've got more than what we need Um, or or what we have volunteers for. So at the moment we've got functional gardens in Westgarth, Preston and Coburg and we've also got a starter pack for anybody who's interested in starting their own garden anywhere. But yeah, there's a really amazing utopian feel to it. It's very chill, it's lovely, there's kids running around, we're collectively figuring out what we want to work on, chatting while we work, all of that kind of thing. Um, So yeah, I've always wanted to start some kind of alternative economy. Um, And Gnomes started as the first cooperative as part of livelihood, uh, which I'll talk about in a minute. But yeah, pre-livelihood, about five or six years ago, I was planning a network of workers' cooperatives that would have used a local currency, as well as Australian dollars. So I used to be really into local currencies. um, But what got the livelihood idea really going was that I'd always seen currencies as a stepping stone. So somewhere that, you know... My intention was always to get to a world without any money, but it seemed as if currencies would be necessary as a stepping stone in order to build trust. But then I realised that we could create a bounded system, similar to what uh, Terry was talking about with the immediatism type thing, a bounded system with norms and agreements that would create the trust, that could mean that we could go straight there. Um, So an example of that is uh, the Unemployed Cooperative Relief Organisation in during the Great Depression in the US. um, That and similar organisations met the needs of about 1.3 million people. Um, And the way it worked was that they had people who would, everyone would work for two days a week um, and in exchange everyone would get whatever they needed from what was produced. And they had mechanics workshops, they had farms growing food, they did home repairs and all kinds of different things. So that got me really excited. So then the initial plan for livelihood was a network of cooperatives, where, again, we would work two days a week and what was produced would be shared amongst all of the producers according to need. Um, And the needs that we couldn't cater for, like rent and mobile phone bills, would be met through those co-ops selling goods with money so as to pay wages and also cover costs. Then we had um, Anitra and Terry come and speak to us. (laughs) And that did my head in. (laughs) Um, But it was great. (laughs) And um, yeah, we kind of got to the point of understanding that even with the best planning and intentions, that market forces just tend to mean that when you're doing things with money involved, that you just end up not being able to do quite what you want to do. Mm. So um, we got convinced to separate the cooperatives with money from the collectives without money. Um, and because the intention of livelihood was to be as utopian as possible, so we wanted it to be as joyful, as egalitarian, as sustainable and accessible as possible. Um, say, if gnomes had have been a business, um, we would have been, instead of growing vegetables that we all need to eat, we would have been growing uh, like a lot of cash crops like garlic and onion flowers and things like that. Uh, it would have been more stressful, We definitely wouldn't be giving away food. We might even have been doing things that aren't as environmentally friendly as what we would have liked. So, that's why we decided to keep it separate. Um, I'll tell you a little bit more about the current plan for how Livelihood works, because it's changed a little bit. So, we all choose to contribute to collectively meeting some of the needs of the whole community, and we each get our needs met in return. We prioritise what needs doing in a fun and relaxed way so that we get great community vibes as well as meeting some of our physical needs. In a way, we're talking about bringing intentional communities to the suburbs without us all having to live together. Instead, we can work on various projects out of our houses, backyards, garages and existing community spaces. We can slowly get to know each other and develop a caring community where everyone feels supported and nourished. The basic premise is that there will be several small groups of people, (coughs) small collectives, who work together regularly, probably weekly, to contribute something to the whole community. That could be a communal meal each week, a bike-fixing or car-fixing collective, a food-processing collective that makes things like cheese or bread, or a mending collective, or so on. Eventually childcare as well. Um, But I think that needs a lot of community um, to be quite solid first. Um, Part of the intention behind livelihood is for people to contribute what they can and receive back what they need within the capacity of the community, of course. So there's therefore no requirement on the amount of time that people must contribute, but everyone agrees to contribute to collectively meeting the needs of the community. Um, If anybody's keen to get involved, by the way, that would be amazing. We'll pass around a sign-up sheet at some point soon. Um, But, yeah, the... um, Yeah, so... You might be wondering, why am I so keen on doing the most utopian thing rather than the most practical thing? Um, the reason is is that there are so many problems in society. Climate change, poverty, the prevalence of mental health issues, the prevalence of violence, to name just a few. And if everybody is so stuck, not if everybody, but everybody is so stuck about what to do about it, there's, there's plenty of people working on partial solutions, reformist measures that make things slightly better. But the vast majority of people are disillusioned and subconsciously just using cognitive dissonance to deal with it all. So cognitive dissonance is what happens when people hold a belief, like believing that the world shouldn't be this way, but then take actions that are contrary to that belief, like working too hard when they know that they need more rest, or flying in a plane when they know that it's bad for the climate. So cognitive dissonance is uncomfortable, so people would choose to get out of it if there was a good option to do so but I'd argue that there currently isn't one that is accessible to the vast majority of people. People need a way to live that isn't destroying the environment, but which also meets their needs for both material security and community belonging. I'd argue that the existing system doesn't really do that for most people. Most people are stressed about money, most people are quite isolated and lonely... But the work hard and consume for happiness paradigm is currently the dominant one, while anything else is still seen as weird or a deviation from the norm. The beauty of utopian alternatives is that we can actually show people what's really possible. If we can give people a taste for what the world could be like, then we can start to break down that cognitive dissonance by giving people concrete options that could actually work to meet their needs whilst being congruent with their values and the way they'd really like to live their lives. So when people can see how wonderful things could be if the whole world worked along similar lines to the way their work is done in collectives without bosses or even market forces interfering, where fun music is played, where the pace of work is relaxed, where people care about each other and prioritise helping each other deal with personal problems, and where there's frequent laughter and a sense of collective purpose, then we can build a movement for systemic change. The kind of movement that's strong enough to win because we might be able to get a majority of people involved rather than the small minority of people who are privileged enough to be active at the moment. So Doing It Ourselves is another group that I'm part of, which is effectively a campaign for system change. We're intending to raise awareness around people's general unhappiness with the system, promote alternatives and encourage resistance. Our goal is to spread alternatives widely enough that the majority comes to believe that a change in the system is not only possible and a good idea, but something they'd be willing to fight for. And when it gets to that point, we'd be able to spread out these alternatives which are already working really well and replace the existing system organically with community-led democratic processes. It wouldn't be your average revolution where the state is overthrown and then replaced by another which is sometimes better and sometimes worse than the previous one. As far as I can see, the best way that we can fight dystopia is with utopia. I think it's our only chance to really get anywhere useful. So doing it ourselves is currently working on and planning lots of workshops, zine stalls, um, theme camps at festivals. We're doing a radio show on 3CR once a month. We're keen to get lots of culture jamming happening, lots of postering. Of alternative messages around town. We're interested to start doing some direct action stuff to get this message around system change out into the media. Lots of social media as well, events like this one and also a radical library in Preston. We're also very open to whatever anybody else would like to make doing it ourselves or whatever you'd like to do with it. Um, so if you're interested again, um, get involved. You're
2: listening to 3CR, that's 855 on your AM dial, and that was some very exciting stuff we just heard from Theo Kitchener. Well, obviously I think so, because I'm involved in Doing It Ourselves as well, and this is the Doing It Ourselves week of the Squatters and Unwaged Workers Airwave Show. If you're interested to find out more about any of those projects, please contact info at doingitourselves.org, or have a look at www.doingitourselves.org or www.nomesfarmingcooperative.org. The Livelihood website is still under construction, but feel free to contact Theo at livelihood.community if you would like to find out more. Now we're going to go to an Annie DeFranco song. This is from 1993, but a still powerful call to action. This is IQ.
0: What do you want? Uh, <clears throat> so so when I was so are we are we taping? Oh really? <laughs> oh it's okay, okay, here we go. Here we go. Um, let's see. I was four years old and they tried to test my IQ. They showed me this picture of three oranges and a pear. They asked me Which one is different? It does not belong. They taught me different is wrong. But uh, when I was 13 years old, I woke up one morning, thighs covered in blood like a war, like a a warning that I live in a breakable, takeable body, an ever-increasingly valuable body, that a woman had come in the night to replace me, deface me. See, my body is borrowed. I got it on loan for the time in between my mom and some maggots. I don't need anyone to hold me. I can hold my own. I got highways for stretch marks. See where I've grown. I sing sometimes like my life is at stake because you're only as loud as the noises you make. I'm learning to laugh as hard as I can listen because silence is violence in women and poor people. If more people were screaming, then I could relax, but a good brain ain't diddly if you don't have the facts we live in a breakable takeable world an ever available possible world and we can make music like we can make do geniuses in a back beat back seat to nothing if you're dancing especially something stupid like iq for every lie i unlearn i learn something new i sing sometimes for the war that i fight because every tool is a weapon if you hold it right
2: That was IQ by Annie DeFranco. If you haven't heard Annie DeFranco before and you liked the song, look her up. She's a prolific singer-songwriter, having made over 20 albums. She's a bit of a feminist icon and sings a lot of great political stuff. Now, you're listening to 3CR on 855, and this is the Doing It Ourselves show. Um, today we've been listening to excerpts from a recording of the panel Real Sustainability Through Mutual Aid that was part of the Sustainable Living Festival and held a couple of weeks ago in a packed lecture theatre at Melbourne University. Let's have a listen now to some of the audience questions and responses from the speakers. Anitra Nelson, Terry Lay and Theo Kitchener.
1: I think that um, Theo's talking about a strategy in which you create these immediate Immediate sort of alternatives, and it catches on as a popular form at, um, in the community at large, and, and then that leads to people making more extreme demands, and and, and gradually starting to take over in the sort of revolutionary format of taking over control of the means of production directly and operating them as a gift economy. I mean, and my comment on that would be, yeah, I think that could it could really work, and I and I really like the fact that that you're working on, on doing that strategy. You know, I think it's really because it's a gap. You know, it's like there's plenty of hybrids around and, and there's plenty of people trying to to, to, to put brakes on the, on the capitalist juggernaut. And... and but what, what, what we, we haven't got is, is, is this, you know, and I think that's really why it's valuable. And, you, and, and, I, and I'm, not, I'm somebody who doesn't... I don't necessarily think you can't predict the future, so you never know what's going to work. And it's really important to try the things that are going to be fun and kind of going to work with you. And and, and, and maybe that's just what, what we need, you know, who knows?
3: I actually think the transition has already started, you know, and I think people are reaching out and even, like, as private individuals, doing things separate, di- doing things differently, doing things in an alternative way and enjoying doing it and talking to other people about doing it. And then, yeah and how and where that transition process goes, I mean, I think it becomes multidimensional. And I think at um, some of the levels that I'm really interested in is where we actually start to challenge capitalism on its efficiency because, for instance, the way that capitalists talk about efficiency sounds like this is the easiest and best way to do anything and, and therefore we've got the technology and whatever. But... Once you actually look at the examples that they give, it's all in monetary efficiency. And money is this very abstract kind of thing. Once you actually look at it, is this lifestyle environmentally efficient? No, it's mm-hmm. not. Is it socially efficient? No. You know, So I think we have to start then bringing in those arguments and saying, yes, we've got this, this works, and it's socially efficient, and it's environmentally efficient. So this then
4: there are sort of like rhetorical layers, um, yeah. And, and on the efficiency thing, during the Spanish Revolution, production increased while the country was being run by anarchists, compared to the, to the capitalists. <laughs>
1: so that's a, she's talking about 1936. Uh, the whole of Catalonia was taken over by well, anarchist communists. It's like. It's unbelievable.
3: I mean, you never hear about it. Except in, you know, in Catalonia, like, people people are still incredibly, fiercely Republican, you know. Yeah. So it actually still has a, a really deep mm-hmm. impact.
1: Um, I was wondering if you guys uh, could comment on um, basic income or social wage. Um, I mean, one of the things uh, stopping me, and you know, I imagine a lot of people from Uh, engaging in kind of productive activities voluntarily in their leisure time is that uh, they don't have much leisure time it's you know, a weekend and you kind of want to do uh, fun, hedonistic things rather than kind of uh, uh, productive uh,
7: um, things Um, and social wage uh, uh,
1: would seem to provide like a a, a nice bridge for allowing people extra leisure time um, and not having to work uh, and
6: getting people used to doing kind of productive things voluntarily
1: I think a number of things about that what, one is I don't think there's any harm in, in pushing it you know, I'm, I'm happy to see it pushed and I'd like, I mean even if it just meant raising the dollar a bit it would be good um, but uh, uh, what I also think is it's one of those, uh, there, there are a whole suite of strategies which I call radical reformists and, and, and it's one of those in the sense that I think that if a government was to implement it, it, it would start a process of dismantling towards the gift economy anyway, in, in the sense that it's, I don't think it's possible to run a capitalist economy with a social wage that is sufficiently comfortable to live on that might actually attract people out of the labour market. Mm-hmm. You, it, the, the, problem, the problem is it, it doesn't just attract people out of the labour market, it also creates a problem of discipline in the labour market. In the, in the work situation, because people are saying, well, you're telling me to do this, it's really humiliating, you're being really rude to me. Now, well, fuck you, I'm going to go and live on the social wage. It's like... I, It's like there's a whole... The, the environmentalist movement was coming up with a whole lot of stuff which I regard as radical re- reformist in, the, in, in that sense. Another one is the zero-growth economy... Um, you know, then, then there's also a modern monetary theory, which is about government spending a lot of money and just printing money to involve in social projects. There's a whole lot of stuff like this, which, which, I mean, as I say, I, I don't, I don't know if these two would agree, but I, I don't oppose it in the sense of you know, bring it on. But I don't actually think it's compatible with capitalism in anything more than like a five-year period. You know, like it might work for five years as compatible with capitalism, but. But even after that, it starts to sort of crack up.
7: Well, That's uh, good that it doesn't matter. Yeah, no,
3: yeah, 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 sure, yeah.
1: No, no,
7: yeah,
3: yeah. My, my concern about it is, is that this is all happening in the Global North, and in as it might actually um, be feasible um, for a short term, in, it will only be feasible in the Global North, and it means people in the Global North are actually living off the labour of people in the Global South, and the fact that the Greens parties don't discuss that as part of, you know, what it's all about and what its implications are, I think is really unethical. Um, so so there's a whole lot of layers of it, you know, because I actually would think um, that alongside, say, non-market socialism or whatever, is you've actually got to have an obligation to society at the same time as getting your basic needs met. I think see those things, it's linked, you know. And um, so, yeah... But I just don't see that as necessary to link them monetarily. Um, yeah,
4: and I'd add that um, I think what I think what Terry was trying to say about it being a revolutionary reform is that if um, if it is something that would break down capitalism, which I think it is, then I can't imagine a capitalist system allowing it to happen. Um, so the, the campaign that would be necessary in order to make it happen would be tantamount to a revolution, um, which I don't think we're going to get to just through discussion around the need for a social wage. I think we need the kind of immediatism, immediatism that we're talking about in order to break down cognitive dissonance, in order to get there.
1: Unemployed? Underemployed? Receiving social security? Getting bullied, penalised, or harassed by your job agent or Centrelink? The Australian Unemployed Workers Union is for you. You have rights. Find out more or get involved by going to our website on unemployedworkersunion.com or by calling our national advocacy hotline on 03 8394 5266. It's time to fight back.
3: A 3CR supporter.
6: Get up.
4: I just have a really quick question, with, or just asking for um, news to comment on like borders and like borders, like state borders. And I guess I was just wondering, like, I could like the gift economy could, um, yeah. So there would there would not be needs for states globally, mm-hmm. and it would could work globally. But I don't see that realistically happening in a global sense. So how could we like ethically deal with the fact that if we just focus locally, there's like
3: people being exploited and suffering in other countries?
1: First of all, let me say this uh, um, that when the when the capitalist revolutions happen, like it was a global phenomenon in in the rich world at that time and spread from from like from England and and the Civil War and the Roundheads and Cavaliers and so on, to France and America and, and Germany and so on. So it's like it's not unprecedented for a motor production to actually take over the world. And In fact, capitalism has done that. So similarly, it's not out of the question that the gift economy motor production could gradually take over the world in, in a similar fashion. That's one thing. The second thing I'd say about it is that the, 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 what, what we have in, in, in Australia at the moment is people as workers alienated and, and what they come to see is any money going from, from their taxes into foreign aid abroad and something they see it's like being stolen from them again, you know, the capitalist class is stealing from them and so is the government in in a situation where, where if we were to establish the gift economy in a number of rich countries at once which is the most likely scenario either it doesn't happen at all or it happens in a number of rich countries at once then I think the, the, the workers in those countries would do two things, one is they would consolidate their own work. And instead of uh, exploiting people in, in Africa to produce things that they can actually grow, grow and produce mm. and make and manufacture in their own countries, they'd be doing that in their own countries. That would relieve a huge burden on the third world. The second thing that they'd be doing is, is, is generously and, and, and optimistically giving in whatever manner worked to, 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 to those developing countries to help to relieve them of poverty in various ways. And, and there are a lot of people in, in, in the, the middle class of the rich countries today already committed to this project. And, and I think the reason why we're not seeing mass support for, for something like this in a country like Australia is the reason I first discussed, you know, that people just regard their, the, the money that they earn as a hard one and they don't... You know, they're racist and I think that's awful. But it's like, it's, it's, it's understandable that they don't see money being paid in their taxes going to the government and funding these programs as their money. Whereas if they were actually in control of the means of production, it would be like, yes, we're making windmills for, for Burke and we're making windmills for Bawarana, why aren't we making some for Pretoria and, and you know, dot, dot, dot. I think it would be like that. And that, that gradually what you'd see is a, an equalisation of, of, of the world in terms of material wealth.
7: I'm still... I know you said you've crossed over from local currencies, but I'm still interested in them as a transition, mm-hmm. complementary currencies. And I'm re- I love reading about the solidarity economy and similar to what uh, Duncan was saying, they seem to be sprouting where things are broken, where capitalism's mm-hmm. broken. And my question before absolutely love what you're doing, Theo, and keen to get involved, was more about um, getting the mainstream on board in Australia and not being a fringe movement. So some of the things that I've said before, you know, utopia and sometimes certain words like gift economy, sometimes Mm. people sort of Mm. switch off, and I think people that are open um, will be on board, but trying to get to the mainstream here is really difficult, which... I'm interested in and I think Mm. local currencies are a Mm. complementary currencies are something that are worth looking at. Mm -hmm. Yeah,
4: I I think it's definitely one way of doing it. I'd just add, like when we're doing promotions about livelihood to audiences that are very different from this, I would not use the word utopia. Um, (laughs) And you know, we have a big focus on um, you know, this will be cheaper, um, it'll be more fun, um, it'll be you know, just uh, more relaxed and it'll it'll bring you community and all those sorts of obvious benefits. Um, I guess, yeah, I, I think that a more utopian um, system is going to be more inspiring and more likely to lead mm-hmm. towards um, people wanting to change the system. I suppose that's part of where I'm coming from. Um, I definitely agree local currencies are way better than what we've currently got, and I think that they're important in that regard. Um. I think the solidarity
7: yeah. economy is about bringing all these together, though. that's what I love yeah. about it. It's not one model that's great, it's about yeah. bringing them all together, mm-hmm. people with the same objective, and I guess um, advocating for a mass movement.
1: The way I've heard the term solidarity economy being used most was I suppose it's in the context of sociology conferences and it seems to refer to an attempt to set up cooperatives that that market what they produce in the the marketplace and and I suppose where um, I I mean I'm quite happy to see these as hybrids of the gift economy and capitalism but I don't see them as an end point and I suppose what, what I um, personally, I'm I'm concerned to sit to to argue for for, for the gift economy as a way to, where, direction to go in, mm-hmm. um, and and it's also in terms of the sort of stuff that Theo and uh, you know have been talking about, of the specific examples that. It's really important to show that this other stuff can actually work, and, and mm. it's fun mm. to be involved mm. in. And I, I mean, all kind of people who want to be involved in in those, you know, in a but I think that's great, and I'm, you know. Mm. But, yeah, that's why I'm not doing that myself because of, you know I really want to push this other mm. thing and try and move it further along. Yeah.
3: Mm. Maybe they're on the
7: same road.
1: Yeah, yeah, sure.
3: <laughs> right. There was a lesbian. Um, Let's over in Adelaide, again, a couple of decades ago. And they brought this in, at a certain point, it was not a very big less. And they go, like, what are we doing this for? What are, we, what are we kind of, like, administering all the kind of mutual support? You know, we can just do it for one another on the basis of what we need. It didn't make sense that if a single mother had two kids and a grandmother had more time on her hands, that you'd bother saying, oh, well, she gets all this credit and she's actually in debt or anything. It just shouldn't be like that in a gift economy, you know?
1: A yeah. I, 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 general viewpoint is that the, the, the problem with exchange value and monetary systems is that they try and equate all values to the, to the, one, to the one mathematical system. But but values can't be expressed like that, mm. you know. Like, how, what is the value of you know ten whales as against fifty cabbages? You know, it's like, <laughs> excuse me, you know, like, you know, these are incomparable. And the way, and so we believe the way to negotiate this is through personal um, meetings and contacts with people and coming to agreements and. You know, saying, I'm going to deliver this to you, and, you know, and trying to work that out and what are the going to be the big environmental effects and work that out and and all, put it all there on the table and then decide. You know, it's like... Mm.
3: And Owen's right. This is all in the first chapter of Capital. Mm.
1: Mm. You
3: know? And Marx was bringing together thoughts of, you know, the in a wider tradition as well, so, you know. It, doesn't, it hasn't started today. This has been a continual discussion. But the challenges that we've got today are much greater than they have been.
2: And we're just about out of time, so that's where we'll leave the panel for now. If you're interested to hear the full version of the panel, you can contact info at doingitourselves.org for a link. My name's Anissa, and this has been the Doing It Ourselves Week of the Squatters and Unwaged Workers Airways. If you're interested to get involved with Doing It Ourselves, we work on all kinds of projects to help create a movement for system change and we'd love to hear from you. If, you. if you'd like to meet the collective in person, we're having a social get-together on Saturday, the 1st of April from 4 to 8 p.m. at Darling Gardens. Do email us at info at org if you're thinking of coming, just in case there are any changes to the plan. But hopefully see you there. Here's a beautiful old song singing through the hard times to take us out. This version is by Anne Price and Steve Stuffett and is a Utah Phillips cover. And up next is Mafalda with news and views from Latin American women. Thanks for listening.
4: We are singing through the hard times Singing through the hard times
5: Working for the good times to come We are singing through the hard times Singing through the hard times Working for the good times to come Now sometimes our living It gets so dark and lonesome It seems like there's nothing we can do So we reach out to each other And we raise a song together And let our voices carry us through We are singing through the hard times, singing through the hard times, working for the good times to come. We are singing through the hard times, singing through the hard times, working for the good times to come. Singing through our times, singing through our times, working for the good times. Won't be so far away. We are singing through the hard times, singing through the hard times, working for the good times to come. We are singing through the hard times, singing through the hard times, working for the good times to come. Yes, we are singing through.